What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. In three days. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Showers are overrated anyway. Showers are overrated. Do you think that for you that spending as much time in the backcountry and going long periods of time without bathing has changed your general hygienics on a day-to-day basis when you're off the mountain? Um, well, I'm married, so I don't think my, <laughs> my wife won't allow that. But if I was just by myself, yeah, I mean, showers would be less frequent for sure. I mean, yeah. I, I would say my personal tolerance is probably far higher um, but yeah, my wife would not let that occur. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the longest you've ever gone without taking a shower? Um, let's see. Three times I have done backpack hunts that were 17 days, mm-hmm. 17 full days. Yeah. Once in the Yukon, once in British Columbia, and once, yeah, I think three times I went north of 15 days. Yeah. And those are archery ram hunts, I'm assuming. No, uh, first stone sheep hunt in the Yukon with Jared Dooling. I won it in the Full Curl Society. It was my first, first, uh, um, it was my first stone sheep hunt. I won, yeah, 2,000 people stand in a room, pulled my ticket, which was super cool. So that was my first stone sheep. So, um, and then, uh, British Columbia in 2017 with me, Don Jr. and, and Jason. That was I was up there five days early. I was there 17 days total. Really? Yeah. On the, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was a long one. Unusually hot fires, shitty glass, and um, was are that we the allowed one? to swear? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. Well, I know I'm allowed to swear. I just didn't know if you'd have to beep it out. No, but, I don't do um, that. Yeah, it was it was just a really and then. Uh, a couple times elk hunting here. I th- uh, the longest I think I went, um, I had a really long season in 2011. I was hunting a great big bull I called Jaws that had all these big shark teeth off of his royal and his main beam. And, man, I just, like, this bull just had my number. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it was about how long it was. And then, yeah, but, I mean, I think you only can stink so much. Yeah. You know. But the one good thing about really getting funky is that you learn to play the wind. Like, I mean, I, I think I think scent control is one of the biggest farces in history. Like, you <laughs> either have the wind or you don't. Like, I'm sure with whitetail hunting, if you can super, super control it, it will give you a few extra seconds. But as far as what I do, like, elk, I mean, like, half the time I'm running, half the time I'm jogging. I mean, like, there's no, like, it. it You're you, going to stink. Man. You either have the wind or you don't. And if you don't there's nothing you can do i mean yeah. it's number one on the on animals on a, on their defense system i mean like they can see you and they'll question their eyes they can hear you and they'll definitely question their ears especially if there's other animals around um but if they smell you it's definitive it's over i mean like there there's no and and if you i mean i i i change i change clothes every single hunt morning and night i have about 12 or 15 sets um, Real, on a pack hunt no not on a pack hunt. Oh, okay. on, on, a, on a hunt like here in this like when i'm elk hunting here if i'm getting back to my truck i have five tubs in the back of my truck where i have uh i usually put two or three big pieces big 
things a sagebrush in there or, or whatever's in the area mm-hmm. and uh i change every every single hunt to wipe down or whatever and it might give you a few extra seconds i just you know just it's something i can control and you can yeah. do um but i i think as far as like being scent free that's absolutely a joke have you ever covered yourself in animal piss um i know i ca- in california like when i start out on a hunt I'll have mule deer piss from the deer I killed the year before, and I'll pop that piss sack the year before, save it in a Gatorade bottle, and when I go out, I'll pour it on myself. I generally, if I come across a wallow that really, really stinks, I'll put it all over my pants and boots yeah. and just, but yeah, I mean, I'd like to smell like nothing, really. I mean, but yeah, yeah I mean, the, the the wind thing is, yeah, it's definitely the most important. There's no doubt about that, especially, yeah, with, I mean, yeah, they'll they'll question their eyes for sure, and they'll question their ears, especially if something like when they hear something if they go on alert and then something else is moving around and they'll they'll that's why i love i mean there's there's times where i love hunting especially hunting elk in when it's super windy i mean like just stuff rocking and 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 if you can find them which that's the problem is when it's crazy windy it's really hard to find them they're usually pulled up somewhere but if you can find them and it's crazy windy, which obviously growing up in Livingston, there were times <laughs> where, I mean, the forest is just moving, yeah. stuff going down and stuff like trees, that. Dude. It's almost not even fair. You, you can walk right up to them because there's so much moving. The scent is eliminated. Uh, optically, they're, they're like, there's so much movement that they're not catching movement and sound isn't a factor. Whew. You know, there it are really those, plays in your favor. Oh, there are those times where perfect conditions you know yeah that uh, those that's are funny the, because a lot of people would just come out and be like oh yeah perfect conditions a nice still morning no wind no this no that but you know to your point everything becomes amplified sound movement you know the perfect conditions which i get twice a year like the the areas that i hunt like twice a year there was one place that i used to hunt that I can't hunt anymore. Um, it's it's basically ruined. There's just too many people there. But um, it was on the east side of this mountain slope, and I would hunt it in the early afternoon. Let's see, how did that work? Basically, I was hunting. The wind was always coming straight in my face, and the sun was at my back. So it was like heavy, pretty heavy. Let's see, was it in the morning? Okay, yeah, it was in the morning. So it was always in the mornings I would hunt it. Yeah, it's far, surprising I forgot that. So it was this big, long creek bottom, tons of aspens and mix of, you know, big, big bull pines. And it was a long, it was about a four-mile still hunt. And generally in the mornings as the sun was coming up, I would start at about light. And you could usually hear the bulls bugling or kind of find out where they were. And as it would start to get hot, the sun was at my back and the wind was in my face. And it was like stealing I mean, I mean, it was, it was like, like it, it was unbelievable how sneaky I could be and how defenseless they were. Cause elk don't like, look, they don't like looking directly in this stuff, especially on a clear day, like looking right in the sun. They don't like that. So, you know, wind was blowing at their back to me and sun was at my back going to them. And I was still hunting up Crick bottom was trickling, running. You had the noise from that wind and the whole night. I mean, Oh, those protected. are protected. Those As a hunter. Those are the days, man. I mean, and I never killed a big bull on that. I, I screwed up on a probably 300, one of the biggest five by fives I've ever, I've ever seen. I screwed up on a 
probably 340 five by five, at which I really want to kill a big five by five. I'm mean, have Boone and Crockett nine by nine, eight by eight, seven by seven, six by six. I would love to kill a big five by five, and I've only seen two, and I screwed up on both of them. And this one I could have killed. I just I didn't identify him quick enough, so I waited and waited and waited. And then he came down and was right in front of me, and then I was like, oh, it's a five point. And then I started adding him up. I'm like, oh man, I should kill him by that time. I'd screwed it up. But yeah, those days, man, sun at your back, wind in your face crick bottom running to you just sneaking along like oh man do you prefer still hunting because most people that i talk to these days um and especially like new hunters a lot of guys think that still hunting is in a stand and they no, don't I, understand what the real concept of still hunting is because in california i'm 100 percent a still hunter so i i am i would consider myself a, a hyper aggressive still hunter so <laughs> i am moving a lot i'm trying to find what i'm i'm finding but when it comes down to the last hundred yards i put it in I put it in low gear. I mean, I've 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 stood over bulls for eight hours to kill them. I mean, one in 2006, all day long. I was with 100 yards of that bull. In 2015, I killed a bull that I think the number. I mean, I I stood within 40 yards of his cow. What I like to do is get close to the cow as I can. If I know the bull that I'm after is in there, I get as close as I can and I just put the brakes on right there, and he eventually will come check them. I don't like to be in the danger zone. Like, it's got to have good wind. If the wind is fickle, I stay way back and I'll wait till it's good. But I'll still hunt in as close as I can. I mean, as as long as it possibly takes to get close, well, that's what I'll do. And then as soon as I get to the first cow that I could shoot, I stop. I put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And I stand right there. And I, I, I want to say in 2015, I stood for like three hours and 47 minutes with all these cows and finally this big bull which i knew was there he, he came looking around to check check cows and i thumped him twice at 40 yards and i i knew the time it was because i think i was listening to two i listened to two podcasts and i added up later i, <laughs> I had i had my phone with me and i just had a, an earbud in and i was just like man this is going to be a long time i was in a sweet little spot and i was just like huh cool time to relax yeah just 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 wait he will come check those cows yeah. like they will come check unless somebody they get spooked or something but they'll come check those cows so yeah I'm, i would say i'm like i'm not afraid to run a long ways to cut elk off or to get in front of them and stuff but when i get in you know in in rain like i put it in 3x slow gear and most people don't i mean it, you gotta move slow i mean slow like yeah. there's not a there's not a exact amount but as slow as you can possibly slow it down <laughs> i mean and and you can you can get in them i've 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 slid in on a lot of big bulls that way, you know, just if you hear them bugling, they're usually closer than you think they are. That's what, that's how you screw it up is like, oh, he sounds a long ways away. Like they're not as loud as dudes with a bugle. Like if you can hear them and that sounds pretty raspy, like you're 60 yards, you're not 200 yards. Like, mm-hmm. So that's most of the time when you screw it up. In fact, that bull I was talking about at the beginning, that Jaws bull, that's I I was just looking for a bull to hunt that year. This was one of the good lessons I've learned about hunting big bulls i was looking for a bull to hunt and instead of taking every single bugle that i came across or every bull that i was looking for seriously that 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 could be the bull that i'm after i heard this bull bugle and came up on this ridge and just kind of was creeping along just you know moving pretty quick just wanted to get a look at him and i had him at 40 yards and if i'd take if i'd if i'd approach that situation like yeah it could be the the giant that i'm looking for i'd have killed him right there on the first day and I didn't, and I slid into there. I, I I got caught moving, and this thing comes out. He was a he was eleven by nine, um, probably wow. probably in the th- he was in the three eighties, low three nineties, and I hunted that bull 
after screwing up that opportunity, I hunted that bull for another 13 days. And by the time I could have killed him, I was within 100 yards of him probably eight or nine times. And by the time I could have killed him 13 days later, he had broken seven points off. And so, and I had him and he was a five by six or something. When I, when I could have killed him, I let him walk and he never, nobody ever killed him. I never saw that bull again. He just disappeared. Never got to hunt him again. Never found him again. But if I'd have taken it seriously, the first time I went out on him, you know, there's those lessons where you're like, you only learn that lesson getting totally burned. Mm -hmm. And, and I like now I approach every elk like it could. That could what be year next. was that you said? 2011. It's 2011. Yeah. Still and haunts me. Like it still pisses me off. I, I found one of his sheds from the year before while I was hunting him. It's in my basement right now. Like and it, and like, this was just one of those bulls. He wasn't the biggest bull on the planet, but he had this look. These all these shark teeth all over him. So it was just an awesome bull. That's gnarly. And, and I totally screwed it up. Well, and what I like that you point out, you know, it was in 2011 and. It, at that point in 2011, you'd already become a fairly accomplished hunter, you know, and you're still learning, you're still learning and you're still making, you know, mistakes in the field and you're still learning and you're still staying teachable for yourself and your own hunting experience and what you can do better next time for your, your next approach. You definitely learn the most from the mistakes. I still make them. I mean, I try not to, I don't make as many as I used to, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely learn the most from your mistakes. I mean, the big ones that get away sting the most. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's funny. I mean, I've killed some giants, but y y you know, the pats on the back when you kill a giant, like I'm on to Cincinnati, I'm on to the next one. Yeah. But the ones that get away, that I, like I look back on that, like I really would love to have that Jaws's rack in my garage. <laughs> I mean, I really would love to have that in my garage. And, the day one rack. Oh yeah, and I and I I screwed it up, and I killed a I killed a big bull that year, three seventy two, a great bit, one of those ones in the garage, and. uh but well, it was, I mean, talk about somebody who's killed plenty of bulls, 350 plus, you know, I mean, I've seen your rafters. It's kind of just, you know, intimidating for any other, any other hunter that looks up at it and is like, okay, this is just nothing but the largest bulls that you could find in the field. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of them in there, but it's, uh, you know, I would say if you look at it, you go like, that's 20 years of my life too. Yeah. I mean, that is a lot. I can't tell you how many days are, you know, to kill. I think that's 16 over 350 now. I cannot tell you how many days. Like, that's that's not hundreds of days. That's multiple years of my life hanging in the rafters that I've, that I've put into those. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah. And some, I've had some big, I've, I've been super fortunate to kill some big bulls, but I've had some big ones get away too. And, uh, you know, I've wounded a couple giants. I've screwed up on a couple giants. Like, if it had all went well, there'd be a lot more in there too, you know. Like, and, and sometimes there, it's a blessing in disguise. Some gets away, and you, you kill a bigger one, or yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some. Yeah, that's it's it's a lot of fun, that's for sure. So, Brendan, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, I mean, obviously, by this point, I'm sure people have figured out who you are. But tell us who you are, where you're from. We don't have to disclose which state you were born in if you don't want to. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but uh, yeah. Brendan Burns. I'm. Uh, I grew up in Livingston, Montana. I live in Bozeman now, and people may wonder why I have to clarify that. Is because I'm actually from here. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm the chief hunting officer and conservation director for Kuyu. Uh, yeah, and uh, just yeah, we're we're up here with Andy's doing a flip flop at my house on Friday night, and that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm gonna, ready for that. Are you ready for that? I'm ready for it. Yeah, because you've had it a few years running now. 
I only had it one time. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were at the first nope. garage sale when nope. I did it there. Uh, I was, but I don't think I don't think I got to come down and. I don't think I was. Any. I don't think I was cool enough at that point in time to get in the see in the crowd, man. I don't. I don't think. I, I don't think it <laughs> happened for off. me. I, I do. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I got the invite. Hey, everybody had the invite yeah. that time. No, that'll be. Uh, yeah, that'll, that'll be that'll be fun and uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, we're sitting in my office here in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah, and it's been a a wild ass trip for me. This time, this time up here, and it's nice to be up here in the spring. Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I forgot what the Gallatin looked like driving through it in the daylight because it's usually, you know, night by 545 when I'm in town, not not light till 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, it's a nice place to live, uh, but it's all full here, folks. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Nobody in <laughs> yeah, moved yeah. to Colorado. Yeah, yeah. As Mark yeah. was saying yeah. earlier today. Yeah, yeah, move, move somewhere else. So. Yeah. So yeah. you grew up here. Yep. And grew up in Livingston. You yep. grew up in Livingston. That's in yep. Montana. Yeah. Uh, what was it like for you getting into the outdoors, getting into, you know, falling in love with and, and becoming so passionate about hunting? I've been obsessed with hunting since I was a little kid. My, my dad is a big hunter. And the joke in my family since I was tiny was, I mean, I, my first, the first allowance I ever got, I bought Bow Hunter magazine with when I was five, six years old. Like, I have been obsessed with hunting since I was, as long as I can remember, it's the one consistent thing in my life all the way through. Like it has been nonstop, nonstop, never like the joke in my family when I was a little kid was he'll grow out of it. And it's still, I'm 42. Like it, it will <laughs> you ain't never, grown out of it no, yet. No, 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 it'll, I'll grow out of it when I, when I tap out, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, and just, you grow up in this area. I mean, fishing, hunting, you know, I mean, it was a different time too. I mean, my, my parents when I was little like we didn't have babysitters or anything I had a bow and a bunch of my dad's old archery stuff and we had a field full of gophers next door and I had four buddies and we would go out and shoot gophers every day and you know that was the big adventure then and it was every day chasing rabbits and gophers and wasn't video games every other you know songbird on the planet that I think the uh, statute of limitations is up but like yeah we just that's just why we did it was we didn't have hovering parent. I'm a bit of a hovering parent right now, which I'm trying to break, but I like, there was no such thing as that. Like at light, see you later and be back by dinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm talking five, six, seven years old. Yeah. Go have fun. Yeah. Go have fun. Don't try not to get injured. And if you do get injured, don't cry. And if you're not, you know, you're going to get hurt, but don't get injured. And mm-hmm. if you do get injured, we don't have insurance. So don't get injured too bad, you know, so <laughs> keep it manageable. And it's been, been all the way through. I mean, like, like I said, this morning we were doing the interview, like, I don't remember. I remember, I don't think I've anticipated anything in my life, like turning 12 years old. Like, I mean, for, since I could remember, like my whole goal was to be a 12 year old so I could legally hunt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, cause that yeah. was the legal age in, Still in Montana. Is. Still oh, is, is it really? Yeah. It sucks. Okay. Yeah. The big game age. Yep, and it was you know like now I you know I take Lucas down to Texas or places where he can go hunt, but yeah, it's it's too late. It should be eight nine years old because I mean I was ready for a long time and um, yeah, I mean just just that was I anticipated that so much and it was you know those were the those were the days. So yeah. when you turned twelve and you started going hunting and kind of learning and understanding what was going on, what was that like for you getting to go on your first hunt experience by yourself? 
Well, I mean, I, I was so into it. I mean, my dad would leave in the mornings when I was a young kid. And I would, my sleeping bag, I would, I would sleep in front of the door so he didn't have to leave without, so he would not be able to leave without me. I mean, my sleeping bag, I would lay, my, my sleeping bag was in front of the front door. You couldn't get out of the house without me, mm-hmm. no matter what. So, um, so him and I started, I, I was like on him, like a backpack, man. I mean, we, we, we hunted everywhere. My dad's been in a wheelchair since I was two years old hit a three-wheeler and a four-wheeler and we went everywhere and it was like you know it's like i hunted probably more with my dad than any any normal kid would because like i mean we were on a three-wheeler and like somebody's got to open gates for him and you know and this was a different time where i mean my dad had access we just, we lived in towns when i was little and my dad had access everybody loves my dad he's just awesome and and who's well, not dinner who's, with him last night who's, who's not gonna let a guy in a wheelchair the nicest guy who's not gonna let a guy in a wheelchair go hunt i mean my dad had permission everywhere so somebody got open gates for him he had access to all this like but but deer and antelope was really kind of our thing and elk were always this kind of unachievable thing like i would see elk but it was like my dad couldn't you know we'd kill an elk every now and again you know, accidentally but like elk hunting to get yeah, just done. just wasn't wasn't happening and then uh so that was always the thing that was like man i really want to go elk and then as i got older you know, I turned 12 and, and, uh, um, my dad, I, he, he, my dad would take me up and drop me off at a trailhead. And he taught me how to read maps. Um, when I was very young, how to orienteer, my dad was in the Marine Corps. He was an orienteering champion in the Marine Corps. So he knew, you know, he taught me how to read a compass and know, know where I was at. Like I was never going to get lost and Hey, you know, go check this out. And I was, you know, you're almost too young to know what you're doing. I mean, like right now for a kid to be turned loose and, you know, in the Gallatin Canyon, greater, I mean, greater Yellowstone grizzly bear area with, an, you know, with, with, with your a map bow, and a compass, with yeah, your and a bow, bow by yourself at 13 years old. I mean, I started hunting unlimited sheep by myself at 13 years old. I took the first week of school off um, in seventh and eighth grade to go hunt unlimited sheep by myself. Um, that's pretty, like, I look at it now, like no cell phone. You know, like I'll be back in a week, and if you need something, you can hitch a ride down and call your parents, and my dad would come pick me up. But find a payphone. That phone. was what I wanted to do. It wasn't like go do it. I was just like you couldn't stop me from doing it, and there wasn't an excuse. Like Dad, I want to go do this, and he couldn't go with me. So he's like, all right, I trust you. Like go do it. Do you feel like growing up hunting and the discipline you gained from that benefited you in your wrestling career through? going into wrestling they were both equal so I, i've been wrestling since i was five years old they're the same thing discipline um practice like the the more you put in the more you get out and and hunting and wrestling are very very similar in the fact that it's an individual sport like everybody like oh we like we never get a great big bull we never win a state title like it, it's on you like it's it's you know it takes help and you have to have partners and people helping you or whatever but ultimately like hunting it's you and the animal and like wrestling it's you and your opponent mm-hmm. and at the end of the day it's like you're either good enough it's pass fail wrestling and, and hunting are very similar you either win or you lose you know you either got that bull or you didn't you 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 were successful and filled your tag or you did not you either won the match or you lost and it's on you it's all you or it's not and so they're very very similar which is why i, I mean my wife says like people know like i'm not a great team player like as far as I never played any football. I knew I was going to be, go to college and wrestle since I was seven years old. So, you know, between hunting and wrestling, like, I'm not a huge team sport guy. Like, I, I just, I've never, I'm not wired that way. And the fact that I grew up hunting by myself, um, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say self-taught, but um, I hunted by myself. Not, like, I, I got information. People helped me out. My dad taught me how to, 
you know, what to look for and all that stuff. But most of it I did on my own, um, which is one of the greatest gifts. You, you know, like you see, see people, you know, you could say like, oh, his dad's in a wheelchair. Poor him. Like, no, that was actually an, an awesome thing for my entire career. Like, I didn't pick up any bad habits either. Mm-hmm. I didn't go with anybody who didn't know what they were doing. And we like picked up a bad habit that takes 20 years to break to know. Like, no, I, everything I did was reinforced by success and everything that didn't work out well, I just didn't do again because I didn't know what I was doing. I started like a totally clean slate, no bad habits. Um, yeah, like I said, nobody, nobody took me high. I didn't have any elk spots. I had to learn it on my own. Like, you know, again, it's data chunking. You just start where you run into elk. Okay. What does that stuff look like? Okay. Look for more places that look like this. mm -hmm. You know, you can't put your finger on it, but that's, that's how it is. You know? Yeah. So you've, what you're getting at is, I mean, and, and also to reaffirm what you're saying is you've killed elk in 11 different counties in Montana in the time that you've been elk hunting. Yep. Um, it's changed. I mean, that, I, I grew up in a unique time as well. I mean, you're talking from, I started hunting in basically in 1989 by myself. And in between 1989 and 2020, this, this state and, and pretty much you could say every state, I mean, has changed so much. I mean, elk habitat, there, there's way more elk than there used to be. And I'm, I'm primary an elk hunter. I love, I love hunting sheep, elk, and big bears. Those mm-hmm. are my favorite things. I mean, I hunt everything we'll else. We'll get into but, sheep, believe but, me. But, but elk, um, it's changed so much. I mean, there was, ni- you know, growing up in Livingston, there was 19,000 elk in the greater Yellowstone elk herd. I mean, you could go up Paradise Valley, and there were elk in every single drainage. I mean, I've been in places right now. Um, I was just talking to one of my buddies about it. We hiked into the spot in about 1994, five, somewhere in there. And at one point in time, it was like four in the morning, we were sitting on this big pass, and there was 25 bulls going off in, in mid-September. And I think if you hike into that spot right now because of wolves, pressure, and a bunch of different other things. Well, the wolves decimated Yellowstone's yeah, elk I mean, herd. I mean, they're down to three, they're just not 3, there 3,500, you know? Yeah. That's. You'd go into that spot right now, and you could probably go there five days in a row without hearing a bugle. That's the difference. I mean... Mm-hmm. All these drainages were packed with elk growing up. Now, I couldn't kill any of them because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but I was into elk, and I, you know, there were elk around, especially in the mountains, you know, as as the pressure from the wolf and the pressure from – and I, I public, you know, hunting pressure and wolves and the same thing. Like, it, it's the same – you know, like, what pushes animals onto private property or to agriculture is, is a lot of it is hunting pressure. They're not stupid. You know, those cows live 20 years wolves predators like they seek safety you know there's one they're they're either seeking out water food sex you know their mm-hmm. rut activity breeding or pressure those are the four things that really impact where they're at and right now you know pressure and feed is the big one you know i mean there's a lot more ag around and and you know so th- that that's what's changed a lot as as i was growing you know coming up i mean there are you know, it's just it's just changed so much i mean what used to be you know even and, and it's changing every single day that's a, that's the cool part about this place is that th- this place and, and when i say we're talking montana idaho wyoming you know nevada all these places i mean you, you know utah i mean 40 years ago there was barely you know elk hunting was horrible in utah and that's one of the best states to know, draw a tag and, and it's yeah and it's down a little bit from what it was in the early 2000s i mean they were killing you know so many giant 400s in the between like 02 and 08 09 and utah was insane you know like but same deal here is like it's just changing all the time if you're not on the front end of it i mean 
a lot of the areas I'm hunting now did not have elk when I started hunting. That's pretty crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. there was no elk where I killed my biggest elk. There were no elk tags when I started hunting. Um, well, and now you look at the places where you were really successful and killed big elk, and there might not even be elk there anymore. There, there's certainly not the opportunity to hunt them that there are, that there were. I mean, there's more big elk right now than there has ever been. This is the heyday. I mean, people for, um, in 2000 when I killed the the state record non typical. That was the largest elk killed in Montana in 35 years. Really? Yeah. And now... How long did you sit on that bull for? Two days. But And now there have been four bulls that have... Four bulls in the last five years that have been killed that score higher than 410 net. It's insane. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, I, there was not a bull that scored... That netted over 410 from 19... I want to... Uh, no, quote, somebody will write in and quote me on this, but like from nineteen, <laughs> from nineteen seventy eight to two thousand, there was not a single bull that scored o- over four ten. Yeah. And and now there's been since two thousand, there's probably been five or six, which is incredible for this day. Like I mean, a bunch. So which which I consider a bunch. You how, know, like how do you feel like the uh, reintroduction of wolves affected the state? It's it's getting fixed now, but I mean, when they brought them in, I mean, it was it was so controversial, and it was one of those things where they just dumped them on us. You know, I mean, growing up in Libby's, I used to go to fishing game meetings with my dad, and they were just like, "Yeah, you're getting wolves." You know, I mean, they're they're bringing. They're so you were an in. active participant in yeah. the state's wildlife by showing up to meetings as a sportsman. as a little kid with my dad. Yeah. you know, you know, with my and, and I didn't have an opinion. No, at that absolutely, point in time, but. Well, now, now I look back on it. I remember, I, I remember it going on. I mean, they had all these big meetings, city, city meetings, and there'd be hundreds of guys there, and they're like, you know, they're bringing the wolf in, and oh, it's not going to affect anything, and we're going to get to a certain population number, and then you'll be able to hunt them and all that stuff. And I mean, we don't have to get into that. They lied about everything, but you know, it knocked the it knocked the piss out of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I remember in in like in the mid nineties up you know above dome mountain and all that stuff having seen no exaggeration 250 bulls together in branch one, antler bulls big bulls big bulls yeah. yeah i mean picking up 25 horns in a day like big you know big bulls yeah. and to you know i mean the last year i hunted the late gardener hunt with a friend was i think 07 and it was man it was bleak there were huge bulls at the end there were some old guys that Coming lived. There out were some the giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it affected a lot. A lot of areas have been down, and you know, and and it pushed a lot of them to private property, to to ag stuff. And I say private property. Not, that's not a negative. Like, they went down to the ag. They knew where they were safe. The wolves didn't want to come down to the ag. Like, they're they're not stupid. You know, elk are not stupid. They they figured out and they stayed out of the park. And but it knocked the piss out of them. I mean, like I said, they're. It's it's if you if you didn't to see go it from nineteen thousand to thirty five hundred is a is a fucking drop. Man. Yeah, and in like the first elk, I I've killed three elk with a rifle, four elk with a rifle in my life, and the first elk I killed, I killed six point with my rifle, and I believe it was nineteen ninety was a, a massive, you know, it, it dipped to thirty five below zero. Um, before the elk opener and then they came out of the park and i mean they i think they killed 2500 six-point bulls in four days wow. uh, I, you know i shot two bull i shot one i didn't another guy got a, got to it before i did and and i killed it which uh, happens uh, out here it used to it yeah. doesn't happen anymore but back then i mean they there was literally two six-point bulls in the back of every single truck it was insane i mean it was it was insane and and you know, those days will probably never be back. And that population is probably too high. Yeah. I mean, 
Well, the, well, the winter range was just nuked. I mean, you, that's where you grew up hunting. Like, yeah. there's sometimes in the springtime where, like, I mean, there wasn't a blade of grass anywhere on it. Yeah, it yeah. Was the just, erosion, the entire, yeah, the 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 decimation that that population, that elk population, had done. You know, and there's a book called Playing God in Yellowstone. I don't know if you've ever read it, but mm-hmm. it goes into detail about how the Park Service basically played God in Yellowstone, and. uh what they had ended up doing no, good okay what they had ended up doing was they went through the park and they killed every single predator that they could find yeah and then they started carting in all the elk from colorado you know and then they'd say well this is what our max population can be the maximum land capacity and then the next year they'd count and it'd be you know 2000 more elk and they'd be like oh well this is the new sustainable yeah number and then and it just kept going and going and going and then obviously eventually they came to the conclusion that a wolf was going to be the best way to balance out the elk population and get it down to sustainable numbers for the area but yeah and i'm not a wolf hater i I like seeing them um i think it's cool that they're they're back i mean i'm glad that they can be managed i mean like right now it doesn't seem to be a big deal kill basically as many as you you get five years you said around the entire state as a whole the elk population is up yeah you know it's just that area has you know where they introduced the wolf and where you know it's really out of control has dropped yeah plummeted that was uh yeah that was uh and and like i said i don't think we'll ever see that again it was cool to cool to see some of those yeah i mean i've heard stories where you know people are counting six seven hundred branch antler bulls and and alfalfa fields throughout the winter during the wintering ground and that's just i couldn't imagine what it'd be like to see that many branch antler bulls in one place at one time you know yeah, it was, it was, it was, but I don't know where we were going with like how it's changed, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you have, you know, the thing is you gotta like whatever state you live in, wherever you like, you gotta change with it. it that's why you said like, I've never had an elk hunting spot. I'm an elk hunter. I can figure it out wherever I go. And I feel like that's well, your adaptability that's, to anything. That's, is... that's the best way to do it. Like I, I still have buddies from high school that they're they never learned how to hunt elk. They got given an elk hunting spot and they do the same thing every year in their success. Like it is what it is, but they're, they honestly don't have any idea what they're doing. They just, they're just going elk hunting. And it's like, if you can't, you know, look at any terrain, I feel like you drop me anywhere and, and I'll go, I'll figure it out because find them. yeah, you figure it out and find them. Like go out of state. That's what I got to do. So what brought you to be so passionate about archery hunting? Specifically, because you said you've only killed a couple bulls with a rifle. Um, opportunity. I mean, it's just, it's an awesome time of year to be out. I've, I've always loved bow hunting. I've always loved hunting with a rifle. And like I said, I right, hunt, hunt with a rifle is, I, I love it too. And I'm doing a lot more of it now that my son's small. But, and it's just particularly with elk too. Like, I just love hunting elk with a bow. Like, it's just something about it. Like, you know well i mean it's safe to say that you love hunting almost everything with a bow but elk for sure yeah elk i, I love hunting elk with a bow like if i'm given the choice but you know it's it's funny rifle hunting elk is i find extremely challenging I, like i've had two i had a wyoming tag late season wyoming tag in 2013 and then i i uh i had a i had an arizona tag for archery in 14 and i had a rifle tag in montana in 14 and man going in the late season cold weather the longest pack out i've ever done on my back was in 2014 uh, myself and kurt roscoe killed two bulls um, as far back as you can get anywhere in southwest montana 
we killed them both a couple hours apart in I shot mine on Tuesday morning at about 10:30, and he shot his at six o'clock on Tuesday. I watched him kill this bull, and we packed meat until Friday at noon, and it was a 12-mile horseback out when they came. <sighs> so it was it was gnarly. I mean, like part of it is like I love nice weather. I mean, the days are longer, the weather's nicer. You have more um, hunting hours. There's yeah, it's it's just better hunting. I mean, the elk are more predictable. I mean, like there's nothing tougher to find than a great big bull mm-hmm. in the late season. I mean, they're they're solely trying to live so like they, they, every every way has a challenge i just love archery on elk and yeah. you know and you, know, you lean towards what i've had a lot of success so you lean towards what you like to do yeah. and and that's that's what i that's what i love so now you said you started hunting unlimited units in 2000 or when you were 13 yeah not in 2013 when you were 13 Shoot. years old what was that like for you because i mean sheep has become has become for you more than you know just a passion it's definitely an obsession and, yeah. and a way of life yeah i don't know why i was always in the sheep you know like you'd you go into guys trophy rooms when i was a little kid and they'd, they'd you know a guy had drawn a sheep tag or killed a ram and you know i grew up in the area that has a lot of unlimited sheep permits they're all kind of around where i'm at and these guys you know like if they had a doll sheep or a stone sheep and they just have these stories about man this this far away place and these super remote areas and it was it always had things like the allure of it and then reading jack o'connor and i'm a pl- prolific reader i mean i have a huge library i mean there's almost a bunch like that's an eighth of the books i've got mm-hmm. um and so you just read about these stories of like the truly remote areas and you have great you rams know. one oh yeah well yeah there's there's some duncan gilchrist books in there that are limited edition you know from the and and Montana was not known for great big I mean it was known for big sheep but it wasn't until about 90 the late 80s early 90s they started killing some big rams um and I just always wanted to to to, to hunt sheep and so the, the unlimited areas were fairly close to my house I bought the closest one I knew about and did some scout went, went about it like everybody else does like you're going to go walk way above timberline get as high as you can and think they're going to be standing on the top and they're not they live in the timber in fact you know, you talk about regret in the second year I hunted unlimited sheep, I found a legal ram. It wasn't a great big ram, but it was like eight or nine year old. And I did want to shoot it because I was like, I'm looking for a 40 inch. I wanted to kill a big ram. And in hindsight, I go, what an idiot. Like, I mean, to find an unlimited ram and to pass one up, like, I just didn't know any better. I just assumed like, I'm just going to keep hunting this thing and I'll eventually find you know, what i'm kill, looking kill for a great big one you know i want one of these giant ones and it's like oh man what a you know it's crazy because i showed it to another guy and he killed it and he was just like this guy was moved to tears and he was just i can't believe you didn't want it. i was like oh yeah i'll find a bigger one i never saw another legal ram really in the time that i hunted him <laughs> yeah really <laughs> yeah yeah so you just like you live and learn i look back now it was probably you know it was, a, it was a nice sheep and i was just like oh no you know it was 14 i have no idea you know so it was pretty pretty cool but yeah i started hunting sheep then and then you know wrestling high school all that kind of stuff gets in the way and that that puts a real crimp on your hunting time you know like that that really slowed me down i mean i went as much as i possibly could but that stuff puts it you know you got to go to school you you know wrestling i was wrestling year round so that was my other passion and so um yeah it wasn't until after college that i really got back into hitting it hard and then sheep you know did did my first sheep hunt in uh um got uh helped the guy kill, kill a ram in 2000 in 2000 
and my dad drew a sheep tag in Western Montana in 2001. And that, it was funny. My dad drew that tag and it was a really good area. And we went over and scouted a bunch and my dad obviously is in a wheelchair. So we were hunting out of the truck and I cleared up. They, they let him have access to a bunch of old four service roads that nobody else could drive on, which was really cool. There's this program that, you know, and my dad's like, he's not faking it handicap. He's, he's in a wheelchair. And we went and cleared a bunch of roads and got ready and, <clears throat> you know, looked around. I scouted a lot and, you know, saw a bunch of sheep, but um, I just didn't know what I was looking at. And my dad killed a really cool ram, which he loves. It's in his, his, his house today. I mean, he loves the sheep, but I couldn't have told you if that ram was 160 or 200. And after we killed the sheep, um, I, I decided right then and there, I was like, I'm going to become an expert because at some point in time, if I draw one of these, I want to know what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And so every single person that had a sheep tag, my buddy, Robbie doctor, first archery ram I was ever on my buddy, Robert doctor do the next year. And we went up and killed a 180 point, um, 180 inch ram. It's a cool, I'll have to show you the video sometime. It was, it's awesome. And again, we just didn't know where you're looking at. Like we, you know, it's a beautiful sheep, um, but we just was not qualified to be looking at that. And so after that, I just like every single person that drew a sheep tag everywhere. Like I, anywhere I'm, you could go, you'd I'd get in it, get in on every single one I could, you know, not getting paid, not guiding. Like, I just want to go, like, I, I'm looking for an invite to, to go walk my ass off and, and, and look at sheep. And, and this is back. Like, I mean, I was digiscoping with a film camera you know <laughs> shitty optics mm -hmm. terrible spotting scope you know like all, all that kind of stuff but you know it's, it's just getting getting into more and more of them and, and uh yeah my my first I, I my first doll sheep hunt i was I, I traded working working on a house for a guy um for a hunt that he had canceled on and um yeah, basically cost me a plane ticket and tip to get up on my first doll sheep hunt in 2008 so just ever since then is once you do it it's and when you came out of high school you kind of went into construction right so i went to college mm -hmm. wrestled in college wrestled at ohio state and then finished up at a small school here in montana and then yeah i got into i got into construction i was a general contractor on pretty high-end homes and uh high-end development type stuff and i didn't start as a general but under a general and then started learning all kind of learning the ropes and yeah, I was in that until the the market crashed. But it was never my passion. I mean, I started guiding. Hunting was always. Yeah, I started guiding, but it was like, it, you know, it was never, like construction was never something that I, I loved. I wasn't, you know, there are guys that loved doing it. I, I did not love doing that. Yeah. Um, it, it was great for and what you, it was. Around that time, that's when you entered kind of the realm of becoming a, a paid athlete hunter. Yeah, so that was a long, I, and I hate, I even hate that. Like, it's just funny how it came about because that was never the intention. Um, I killed that great big elk in 2000, and then, um, you know, that was that was funny. That was the first year that I didn't wrestle in college was 2000, and that was actually the first day that would have been practice. And so, um, you know, that put it, you know, obviously that, it was a way bigger deal to kill a huge elk in 2000 than it is right now because mm -hmm. it was just, you know. A lot was, more rare. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, man, this 22-year-old kid kills this huge bull. And, you know, it was the first elk that ever you went viral. You had hair back then, too. Yeah, it was the first elk that ever went viral. I mean, that was when people started getting email. And so the photo got on the Internet and went viral. And it was a giant elk from this area that nobody had ever heard of. And, you know, it was the biggest elk in, whatever, 35 years in Montana. It was just crazy. And so, yeah, I started kind of dabbling in that and, and 
that sent me on a funny path because you think, oh, you kill a giant elk, like, man, you, you've made it. I, I, I was, it actually terrified me because I was like, man, I do not, like, you look through the book and you see the guy's killed one big elk in his life. Like, it's a one-hit wonder, man. Like, I don't want to be Millie Vanilli. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. You know, I want to be the Rolling Stones. I don't want to be Millie Vanilli. <laughs> so it's like I want to. I want to be good. Like I got lucky. I mean, I I did everything right to kill that elk. But at the end of the day, I wasn't. I, I didn't know a tenth of what I know now. I got lucky. It was the right place, at the right time, did the right thing, got one killed. But it put me, like it it poured the gas to wanting to to become a better elk hunter. Like I did. I did not want to be a one hit wonder. Like oh, there's that guy that killed that one elk. Like that don't mean shit. Mm-hmm. So it was like I, my my goal at that time was like I want to be the I want to kill more big bulls than anybody of my generation. And like predominantly that, public land, crushing I, it in the backcountry. I mean, I, I would definitely not say the backcountry. I've killed a lot of bulls on public land. I mean, that bull was killed on block management. Mm-hmm. I've killed bulls, which is on, a great program. Yeah, that the state offers. Yeah, I've killed I've killed big bulls on block management, state ground blue, BLM private land like i hunt the best stuff i can every single time i can i mean if i knock Whatever on a the guy's opportunity door, presents if i knock on a guy's door and he'll let me hunt i'll absolutely hunt that like I, the the to me the whole i'm strictly a public land guy well that's fine if you want like but you got to be versatile like i mean there's there's block management there's state ground you know like i said if you don't have any private property to hunt and, and again we're in montana that's 50 percent private um, a lot of the good stuff is either through, I mean, I was the first one to ever, there's a place that's been ruined now, but I, I know I flew in, I've flown, I was one of uh, the first person I know that flew in to hunt some places, um, rented, had a super cub drop me off. Like, man, man, whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes. Um, I've traded, I've traded work for access, you know, I mean, you could say, you know, I, I don't pay in my home state to hunt, not because I won't, because I just never have had to, but I've traded work. That's money, you know, and I look time. at it like, yeah, mo- time, time is money. Time is money, you man. know. There's a lot of guys that go like, oh, man, I'd never pay to hunt somewhere. It's like, dude, you took 35 days off of work. You paid a lot of money to go hunt. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you did. So I don't I don't quantify any of it in that, in that realm. Like, I'm going to hunt the best stuff I can every single time I go in the field. Um yeah, I mean, I killed a booner two years ago on on BLM, like true access that I got from a guy who's a friend of mine. You mm-hmm. know, like it is what it is. Like, there's no, if there was private property that you just roll up giants every single year, like you'd know about. It. I mean, I have access to really good private places that I could hunt every single year if I want to, and I don't hunt because they're not the the big bulls aren't there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I started, man, looking for any place i could find a great big bull that's that's the goal i mean and and you know success is is always one of those things like i said my goal is like i want to kill the most big bulls of anybody in my generation that that was my goal and and you know when you say something like that it sounds like assholish you know and it's like that's just that was just my personal but that's goal. the fire man that's no i that's mean that's the passion i right? remember the first time i told my best friend i said how many I'm, other people try strive to achieve that and and they maybe privately or they never tell anybody but that's i remember telling that's a lot of people's goals every single year and and i set the bar a little low i remember i remember telling my best friend i said man i'm like i'm gonna kill 10 350 inch bulls in my life and he was like dude did you just start 
doing drugs or what's going on here? Like, and it was like, it was like, yeah, that, that's a crazy thing to say. What you're like, Hey man, you killed one elk. Like, let's calm down. Mm-hmm. Killed one great big bull. You let's calm down with that. But you know, if that's what, that's what your obsession becomes. And then, but you yeah, set I out set to it, do I that. set it too low. I did. You, I, it, I you got set it out done. to do it and you accomplished, you've accomplished that. Yeah. And, and you're continuing takes, to accomplish that. And I, and I have, I have had, there's a couple things I would say that are in my favor. I didn't get married till not that it was in my favor, but you know, it was a huge, pri- it's all about being a priority. Like everybody wants to point to access or money, but like skill and time are the big one. Like, you, you, you know, skill and time are the big one. Like, and part of that skill, you know, as you said earlier this morning, part of that skill was acquired by your dad taking you to a trailhead, dropping you off and oh, picking yeah. you up later. Yeah. But put, being able to put in the time and, you know, now, like right now, I mean, I'm, you know, the, with my work and job, like I got a lot of time to hunt. That's a that's a major thing and you know like like i said success is what it is what it is to you like that's just my personal goal um i don't look at it comparatively like the score thing is funny because people are like oh i don't care about score and i go i go i actually don't care about score i mean i told you guys this morning all those big bulls in my garage the smallest bull in there was the one i was most happiest about because i i was hunting an area that was not very good i didn't have a lot of time and i stumbled into the seven by eight that's i think he's 341 um score doesn't really matter like I was so thrilled to kill that bull. I can't even tell you like by far the happiest I've been to kill a bull in the last 10 years because mm-hmm. it was a totally unexpected. I mean, I stumbled onto might have been the biggest bull in the whole area and, mm-hmm. I, and then screwed it up and then ran him down and ended up getting him killed. So score doesn't matter to me like per se, as, as far as um, like, am I disappointed? Like, no, it's just a, it's just a number that I've, that, that I like knowing and I always say, like, listen, if score doesn't matter to you, don't use score. Use pounds. Yeah. Like, to me, like, where score for me comes into play is if you're lying about it. If you, if you like, if, if I say a bull's 350 or a bull's 395, that's exactly what it is. If you take the liberty of a 320 and call it 360, you're just a liar. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really care. It, yeah. it doesn't affect my, how happy I am in a hunt. Um, generally, you know, like if, if, if I've have been not happy with the outcome of a hunt, it's probably from the amount of effort that I've put in, it's definitely not in inches on the tape, but when it does come to inches, like, I want to know what it is. I mean, like there's nothing worse than somebody saying, Oh yeah, he's about 360. And it's like, dude, it's not 360. Like, it, it, it is what it is. It's such a weird thing to, to lie about. And it's really the only comparison thing. And I, like, I've always, uh, for me, I've looked, I like, I look up to Randy Almer, Dan Evans, Chuck Adams, like guys that were a generation ahead of me. And like, those guys know how big stuff is. Like when, you know, like that's why it's, that's why it's important is like, how do you compare to the guys? But like, I'll never catch Randy Almer. He's better hunter than I am. He's started at a different time. Like when I talk about when you start hunting, like Randy started in the seventies, he's been applying for tags since the seventies. Like he, he's drawn multiple times and will draw the opportunities that I'll never have because I didn't start early enough. When you start, when the point system starts, Oh, that is the, the like, opportunity the ultimate is advantage. so much larger. Yeah. And, and guys like Dan Evans who started hunting, you know, he started hunting Nevada before I even knew there were elk in Nevada, like guys like that and, and applying for tags. Like, so I, I put them a generation ahead of me and they've had huge success. And the score thing is, is only a comparison as to what, like, Oh, you know, how, how, how am I stacking up personally against, guys that were you know when you set your goal like i want to emulate those kind of guys or chuck adams you know like you know chuck's hunted 
I mean, Chuck's been killing like no matter what, no matter where that guy goes, he's he's killed a lot of big bulls. Like you you can't fake killing big bulls. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, so that that's the guys I really look up to. And there's some other guys that people wouldn't even know who they were that that had killed really big bulls um, consistently. Like the most impressive thing to me is consistency over time. Like you you know anybody can kill one big bull. That's called luck. You can even get two. You might even get three, but like you don't see guys killing ten giant bulls. Yeah. Luckily, lucky, you know, you just don't. Yeah. So it's you know, I don't know where we're going with that. I was ranting. It's all right. We're That's talking r- sheep or something. I don't know. <laughs> we definitely were talking sheep, and I think we went around about. Um, so back to sheep and and getting into the hunting industry as you had. Um, and then adventuring into Sitka and, and meeting a business mentor and, and yep. the, the whole journey from 2008 till now. Um, what has that road been like for you? And, you know, what was it like getting into Sitka and, and you know, being a part of that staff and that team? And then obviously, inevitably, yep. you know, leaving. Yeah, I, met, I met Harrison in 2005 in uh, at the ATA show in... <coughs> At the ATA show in Indianapolis, I think it was in Indianapolis or Atlanta, and I walked into the booth. I'd seen one of their ads, and I knew a guy that was kind of involved in the company, uh, a business guy, and, and I'd seen one of their ads, and I walked to their booth, and, you know, they had a small booth. They were just starting to, and rolled in there, and, and Jason and Jonathan were both in there, and Jason saw me right away and goes, he goes, you're that kid that killed that great big bull. <laughs> and I was like, and that was the start of a long, I mean, we became super close friends and and sent me some gear and i killed a great big bull that fall and he and and then we shot some stuff the next year i was like technically the first sitka athlete back then and then uh, we just developed a good relationship and we're just buddies and then uh when it it helped him with some design stuff and kind of feedback um and then when he left um when he left and i was doing some writing and some magazine stuff and it, you know it was just a different time magazines were a huge thing there was no social media um i'd yeah, love to just, see magazines make a comeback yeah yeah I mean, and cower back you, over you, social media yeah you could well you, you, the fact checking was definitely stronger back with uh with with magazines but um mm-hmm. and then yeah when he left when he left sitka he called me and and actually him, lance and i lance kronberger and i were um, were the two that like when he left, like he was our guy there and it's just like, it was a loyalty thing and we left as well. And he, and he said like, Hey man, I'm starting this new company and you know, I need somebody like you. Um, yeah, I, I, I want, you know, are you interested in coming on board with Kuyu? And I can, I remember screwing up the name in the first couple of times, like Kuyu, like, ah, I don't know about that name, you know, like, it's like, yeah, cool. So, and I was ready to be done with construction at the time. The big, the, uh, the big crash had happened in 08 and in 2009 yeah i was i had i think i started guiding full-time for sheep i think i did nine or ten bighorn hunts in the fall bighorn hunts and and desert sheep hunts in the in that year it was like that that may sound awesome like dude you got to do a bunch of big like that was my job at the time. Like it was a lot of work. I mean, nine I, hunts I, in a row is a yeah, lot. It's I, a lot. Yeah. I mean, that was it, my first t- year. T- yeah, I, I become you, Willie Hedinger and I had become, uh, really good friends. And he had he, like my, my gateway into guiding came through him. He, he gave me my first shot. Um, I helped him out with the governor's tag on the brakes up here and just literally showed up and said, Hey man, I got some ideas. And 
here's some sheep I found and, you know, helped him out with that hunt. I wasn't actually guiding at that time. And then took, went to Mexico with him the first time and then Taos and did a bunch of hunts. And we started hunting together a lot. Um, and that was back when it was a job, you know, like that was the income, you know, cause mm-hmm. construction and went away. And so I started with that. And then when, he, when, when Jason started Kuyu, he asked me to come on board. I was the first, first person he hired September of 2010. Um, yeah. And it's just been a long, long journey of, you know, like it's just crazy. Hunting all over the on. world. Yeah. I mean, it didn't start off like that. It was, it was, it was taking advantage of the opportunities we had cause we didn't have a, a hunting budget at the time. And, um, yeah, we, we started, yeah, do, doing one hunt a year. That was the thing. Him and I, we had the, we had a deal when I started, there was a couple things. One was I wasn't going to move to California and two was, uh, we would do one sheep hunt. As soon as, as soon as there was enough money in the company where we could do it, we would do one sheep hunt together a year. And, and in, until he passed, we, we did from 13 on and, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That was just, it was just like. We had this thing where, you know, we're going to get together, we're going to hunt sheep once a year to, you know, assess our gear, get reinvigorated in the mountains and, and you know, just like, just just revamp like this is why we do it. You know, Recalibrate. Which was cool. Yeah, which was cool. And I really like how you bring that up too because for me, you know, in my personal experiences, when I get re-energized, you know, and, and refocused on everything is – that time in the field when hunting season hits and and, i mean obviously it's not the kind of hunting you guys were doing but how important that is for me as a hunter and an outdoorsman you know and spending that time in nature i always say nature is my church yeah you know and and it's because it is yeah you know there's there for me there's no better connection to life and the reality you know as and and recentering of self and assessing maybe what's gone on in the last year. What can I do better? Where, yeah. where can I be better? Where do I need work? You know, and it's it's a place where I have the most amount of clarity. One hundred percent. You want to be a better father. You want to be a better person. You want to be a better husband. You're gonna work harder. Like it just it just resets you to everything. Like ah, oh, this is the stuff that really matters. You mm-hmm. know, because you get lost, you get bogged down and stuff. Where you're like, what really matters? Like it's not that much. Yeah. You know, who really matters? Not that many. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I mean, and you can sort that out when you're out there. Yeah. 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 You get back to what's, what's important. Cause there's a lot of shit that goes away when you're, when you're, when you're sheep hunting that, (laughs) that just like, it's not that important. It doesn't, it doesn't, the stuff that takes up wavelengths, you know, that, that takes up bandwidth in your mind when you're not hunting is just noise and the stuff when you're like, Oh, if it's still important to think about then, then it probably is important. Yeah. So, and, and anything, you know, whatever that is to you. I mean, to me, it's, sheep and bears and spending time with you know like for me now it's like i want to i want to hunt new places with old friends that's Mm -hmm. that's that's the easiest way to define what i love to do like i want to go see new mountain ranges i want to chase the next big ram i want to hunt big bull but like i want to do it if 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 i'm not by myself i want to do it with 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 the people that are important to me a solid group yeah 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 yeah. like i went i did a uh, doll sheep hunt last year at canole outfitters in the nwt and johnny and it was such a cool hunt because johnny nykirk and glenda glenda groats the outfitter glenda now. is the sweetheart oh she's awesome she's so nice she's a savage though yeah, just don't I don't let the nice face fool you she's a savage <laughs> and and i had been glenda was the fifth person on our guide and outfitter program at kuyu and i had been talking to her about going and hunting with her since she was on she was the first person i ever knew that had pack dogs 
And I was just fascinated by that. Like she was like, oh, yeah, I have two pack dogs with me. And I was like, that makes so much freaking sense, you know, spending a whole season up there. And then jo- Johnny was the seventh person on our guide and outfitter program. And so uh, when Glenda became the outfitter at Canole and, and Johnny and I have been threatening to hunt together and it just hadn't worked out. And I was like, I called Glenda. I was like, hey, can Johnny come guide me up there? Because he used to work at Ramhead. And she's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And it was just the coolest trip ever because it's like finally got to go up and hunt with Glenda and finally got to go hunt with Johnny in some country that I'd never been in before. It was just a killer trip. But, like, that's the epitome of it. Like, man, I got to go see the McKenzie Mountains in a different area I've ever been with two people that I've known for 10 years now that we've been threatening to hunt together. And it was just that's as good as it gets, you know. Yeah. You know, places that you've read about forever and finally get to go put a boot track in. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so when you're out there, you know, NWT, Alaska, BC, wherever it is, do you ever stop on trips and just sit down and just take it in? All the time. Yeah. I'm a prolific mountain sleeper. <laughs> so like I, I'm 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 intense. Are you falling asleep behind glass? Oh, not behind glass, but I'm, I'm intense until, like, I have this gift where I can fall asleep anywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I enjoy more than, you know, thoroughly scanning a base and get everything dialed in and then, you know, lean back, taking an hour nap. And, oh, man, it's the best. So, yeah, that, those, it really centers you. And, and, yeah, you take a look around. And, I mean, I've I've done over 100 sheep hunts. I've, I've killed 11 rams personally for myself. Like, every single one of those I go – man you just never know when it's you, you don't know how many times you're going to get to do this and i've been more blessed than anybody i know to be able to hunt sheep all over and every one of them is special like people's like oh what's your favorite like i mean you, you, my, my least favorite is the one that was easiest but other than that like man i like you every one of them is special there's not there's not one you can pick out that's better the harder you work the longer you go you know i mean your first one the last one like they're they're you know they're all awesome yeah and being with people take like jason Whitman and i um who works at kuyu went and hunted ultimate Thule last year in alaska that's a trip that actually jason harrison and i booked it in 2015 takes forever to get there and then was hollywood guiding you guys on that no hunt no no <laughs> jay stanford did but to and and jason Whitman came with me and we went and it was a gnarly backpack hunt like as gnarly as it gets and but you know to watch him like he killed a huge ram you saw it this morning in my garage he he killed a 169 inch doll on that hunt and, like to watch somebody kill their first ram too was oh man that's the coolest thing ever now because now, now that it, like it, it's just it's just a cool thing to, to I see c- i could only imagine because for me i mean i love taking out california deer hunters that have never deer hunted before and watch them get to take their first year of their life and it's something that they've worked so hard for and put so much effort and energy and thought and and the whole deal and i to watch the reward for that person is you know nothing short of a miracle yeah you know and i couldn't even imagine what it'd be like to get to watch jason have that experience for himself with a doll yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty cool and it's like that with guiding too i mean like i said you know my gateway into into you know that, that you want to pass it on I mean, my gateway into guiding was through willie hedinger i mean he 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 gave me a shot you know and then i've passed it on. i mean you interviewed cody and comer and you know those guys were my wife used to tutor them when they were in the seventh grade you know <laughs> like they're 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 you know little guys that were just like man they wanted to hunt bad when they were little and you know and to help them out get their first guide jobs and go and dive into sheep and you know 
see Cody kill his first ram and and Comer. I think Comer killed uh, Comer won a drawing to win his doll sheep. The and, Montana Sheep Foundation yeah, and, here. And we were standing outside beforehand, and I I I can't remember the exact conversation. I was like, dude, you know, giving away a fully guided sheep hunt, like become a life member. And he went out and he went right there and did it and. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Night. Yeah, I won it that night. You know, it was just cool to see him <laughs> when kill his first sheep. And like, I mean, you kill your first sheep, it's it's addicting, man. Like, there's, there's, I don't know anybody that's been on a sheep hunt that didn't go like, how do I get the next one? You know, got a doll. Okay, how am I going to get a stone? I'm drawing a big horn. Like, it 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 doesn't end. I mean, like now I'm I've killed, you know, I'm one desert away from my second grand slam, my grand slam with a bow, and. It's not like, oh, once I get that, I'll be done sheep hunting. No, man, I'm going to hunt them till I, going. till I cannot pick up one foot in front of the other, and then I'll find a place to hunt them where I can start at the top and walk down. Now, you know? would you ever do it with a rifle? What's that? Hunt sheep. Oh, yeah. I've killed three with I've killed three with a bow and the other uh, eight with a rifle. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. I thought they had killed more with a, with a bow. No, nope. no. Nope. So this will be and your first archery slam Yep. when you complete yep. it. Yep. And what are you short? Desert. Do you have an idea of what you're going to do or where oh, you'll go I mean, for It's that? in the works already. It is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll, it's, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it never stopped. You know, the, I, I had over 50, uh, 53 days hunting doll with a bow, four different hunts to, to not kill with a bow, and then I finally killed a really nice ram with Johnny last year and, and Glenda up in, in WT. So um, that, that, was, that was the one that was my nemesis. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the doll's in the works and, and – uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you think about everybody in my circle, like Justin Schaefer. You know, drew a Colorado bighorn tag, killed five or six, seven dolls with his bow and rifle in Alaska, and then you know he bought a, um, he got a desert sheep tag this winter that he bought at an auction that nobody was watching for twenty something thousand dollars, and you know it's like it's an obsession. Like anybody who says that you can't hunt sheep, it's not a priority to you. You can. You just you have it, to make it, it a priority. It's a strange, strange journey. You know, Mike, it is. Took, it um, took it took me uh, t- ten years. It cost. I, I did my grandson for ten years for twenty three thousand bucks. Hustled my ass off to do it. Like you can do it. You know the expensive hunts and the and the sheep hunts. I think the fact that they are expensive to do it. If you just want to just pay to go hunt or whatever, it gives people a way to go. Like ah oh, man, I wouldn't do that. I'd it's never too expensive. do that. Yeah, yeah, like man, man. There's there's a lot of ways to go to go sheep hunting mm-hmm. you know i mean i i've been on lots of hunts where i wasn't the hunter even just to go with somebody else like yeah it's it's you know any way you can do it i mean they're just it's just such a rare opportunity yeah. i mean yeah they're you cannot beat it so so coming up and learning with willie and and all of that how did that shape you as a sheep hunter well <clears throat> it, it's funny I don't consider myself a great guide. It's still, and the more I've guided, the less I consider myself a great guide. You're either a, a hunter or a guide, and and when you hunt with somebody like Willie or with Lance Cromberger, you realize what a really good guide is. Like they're they're more selfless than me. Like I said, I'm not a huge team player. Like I'm kind of, like I I want the pressure on me to get it done. And when you're guiding, it's you, you know, you're, you're helping somebody else. And so when you're around guys that are really good, like Willie's by far, the, uh, Willie and Lance both are, same, I mean, I'm not even in the conversation. Like I, I know my strengths and weaknesses. Those guys are phenomenal guides. They get the best out of everybody when they're hunting with them. I try and do too much. 
and I know it. So that's what makes me a, a better guy to know that I'm trying to do too much. But when you're around those guys, you just you just learn how to be a professional. You know, like it's it's. It, you know, it's not just hunting sheep. It's making sure that you're communicating with guys. It's making sure that you're making – like, it's getting the best out of people. Mm-hmm. And so when you watch guys that are really, really great, um, yeah, it's something to see. And, and you know, like I said, I'm primarily a hunter. Like, you're either a really great guy. I, I'm not going to say you're either, but I, I, I generally say, like, you're either a really great guide or you're a really great hunter, mm-hmm. like one or the other. But it's f- pretty rare that somebody can do both. And those guys are – they get the best out of people. And, and – yeah, just being a professional, you know, like it's, everybody thinks, you know, it, it's, it's funny what the perception of guides are, but like, man, that's a thankless job. Like you don't do it for the money. They yeah. have a shitload of money in it. Yeah. Um, you do it, you do it cause you love doing it. And there's a lot of guys that when they truly say like, I would rather guide somebody than hunt for myself. I, I cannot say that yeah. at all. Um, and you're right. When you're around guys that are really great guys, I've had some, I mean, I've hunted with some great guys, Bob house, a tremendous guide. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, every single person I've been on a hunt with, um, I've learned from, and, and they're, you know, re- when you're with a really great guy, which I've only hunted with great guides, um, it's awesome to be around them. They, this adds yeah, super value to it. But yes, yeah, so I came up and, and learned a lot from that and did it a lot, you know, guided quite a few sheep hunts, but you also realize what you don't love to do it. Uh, you know, like I, I guide three hunts a year. Um, cause it keeps me kind of keeps me grounded and I, you know, I'm able to do it. And, and like I said, I'm serviceable. I would call myself at best, but I, I don't, I don't <laughs> love, I mean, guys at home, like we, we have a great time and I do, but it's enjoyable. It's not, it's not my passion is not guiding where those guys really are. And so, yeah, it's your passion is getting out there yourself like and doing myself. it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're going from, what was your first sheep hunt in 93? Oh, uh, your unlimited tags. Oh yeah, ninety one. So okay, so we're going from ninety one, fast forward, to what almost thirty years, you know, twenty nine years later. Yeah. And one of the largest, the largest privately funded conservation project is underway, about to happen. You know, and and your whole worked you know i mean you look at wild sheep and you look at all these other organizations and you know putting sheep back on the mountain and you are actually fulfilling that and and making sure that not only for the herd at the rocky boy res you know and the insurance policy that's now kept there but ensuring future sheep generations for north dakota and for utah's sheep herd what is that like, you know, and, and what's, what's that like in the process where the idea first came to you? Was it two years, three years prior? Three years ago. Three yeah. years. So three years prior to that, to having gone in the week before everything's happening, it's mayhem. You're under tons of stress because it's like, okay, now we've, we've planned this. We've thought this. Everyone's on board. We've kept a tight lid on it, and it's, it's happening. What's for you uh, as a personal achievement, but also as an achievement for for getting new herds put back into America? What's what's going on for you and all that? Yeah, the the conservation direct project. I mean, it it was one of. For I just wanted to see if I could do it. I, I had thought up the concept. 
And how I, how much you just wanted to see if you I want to see it. if so, I could do it. Now, how much? And what I like about that is because that's your same um, attitude you took with killing bulls over 350 yeah well just i, right? I just want to see if i could do just, it. I, just getting it done i thought I, I thought done, i could do it i i thought i could i thought i could pull it off I, and, and again i didn't pull it off i had some like there was a lot of help there was a lot of help the concept came about like it didn't seem that like there's got to be more like you you got to be able to do more I, I felt like it could be done and it wasn't as difficult as i thought it was going to be to be honest with you i mean i like um I was nervous about raising the money because, you know, you, you know you got really good friends when you can call up with a crazy idea. And, and like, you, you know, there's a lot of people. You, if if your friends aren't true to you and go, they go like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, but it's actually a shitty idea. Those aren't really great friends. But I called some, you know, some people up and said, hey, man, like, I got this idea. I think I can put it in place. Um what do you think? And, and would you be willing to donate to it? Like, we're going to fund this thing. And I, I was a donor as well. And I was like, when you have friends that go like, yeah, I believe in your idea and I'm going to give you some money to do it. Then you're like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. You know, like, and, and we can get it done. Um, it, it was, it, it, I mean, and I didn't do it alone. Like I called, um, so Jace Taylor and Travis Jensen in Utah were the first ones I called and they couldn't take the sheep. So I'll give you a little background. I've been hunting and um, outfitting on the reservation for sheep since 2011, and I'm the exclusive outfitter up there. Um, I have uh, with with a, my partner up there, Justin Four Colors. So we out, we take care of the hunting of sheep on the reservation. Well, the, as the number the population began to grow, and it was kind of stalled for a long time, but then it it just blew up, and it was like, you know, they want to keep them within their objective numbers, and it's like, okay, we're going to need to get rid of some sheep coming up, and I just thought. I think we can do our own transplant and you know, it's gotta be financially viable for the reservation. So I wanted to buy the sheep from them. And then I, yeah, I approached, uh, uh, Jace, Jace Taylor and Travis Jensen in Utah. They could not take the sheep. They didn't have a place to take them. And then I called, um, one of Willie Hager's buddies, um, Brett Weedham. Willie's from North Dakota. So he knew, he knows the North Dakota guys. And I said, you know, what do you think about North Dakota? And he gave me Brett's number and I called Brett and Brett said, yeah, let's, I can take him. I got a spot for him. And we had it set up and in 19, we were going to take 34 and it was all ready to rock. And I actually hadn't even, I hadn't even got the funding done from anybody yet. I just said, listen, I, I know we can pull this off. I know I'll be able to get the money. Let's green light it. I'll write the check myself. Um, I'll cover it and then I'll go back and we'll, we'll, we'll figure, figure out, out how to pay it off. Yeah. Like, and, and the company was behind it and they said, just do it, you know. I had talked to Harrison about it before he passed away, and he was just like, whatever you want to do, I'll support you. And he trusts it, your judgment. Yeah, he just said it like, if you can pull something like that off, do it. You know, I, I trust you, whatever. Like, that was as far as we got on it. I didn't get into details. I just said, I got this idea. I'm going to try and do it. And he's like, cool. You know, so. Um, and so we were we were scheduled. I was actually flying back from one of the shows to do it, and, they, you know, they had some helicopter problems. Something came up, so in 2019 we couldn't we didn't do it well in around christmas time and i think in november december of antelope island started dying off and then i touched base again that we were going to do it and i think jace taylor called me back and said hey man if that's still an option and and he, they thought maybe we weren't going to do it to north dakota because it got put off like something had come up and it was like no it, i mean we're doing it um we uh 
um, you said, oh, it's not an option. Uh, but then Antelope Island started dying off. So it was like, hey, we got two places to take them. Well, then, you know, when you have a population of 140 and they all have lambs, like all of a sudden we've got a population of 200. So we actually have enough t- sheep to take to both places. So we put together, it's like we're going to do a simultaneous transplant and we're going to do two at the same time, which, you know, again, it's ignorance is kind of bliss. If I'd have known how stressful that was going to be and how hard it was going to be to catch all the sheep and just the logistics of the whole thing. I might've just done one at a time, mm-hmm. but you were there. I mean, it was, it was chaos. It was a lot of stress. I was stressed out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we, we went in and got it done and, you know, we took 25 sheep to, to Antelope Island and we took 30 to North Dakota and two separate herds. And yeah, we privately, privately, the, what makes the conservation direct transplant different is it was concept and funded from the private sector this was not like i didn't work with any organizations whatsoever um utah you utah and financially transparent totally financially transparent raised all the money and made 16 phone calls could you put in 50 percent and um I, there were 17 donors myself being one but i made 16 phone calls and funded the rest so it was there it wasn't a burden on any kind of organization or you know state funding or anything like that we took care of the whole thing and volunteers showing up all the volunteers showing up you know like i said when you you know when you got really good friends when you have a crazy idea and people go like yeah i'll be there i believe in that (laughs) when and where let's do this let's do it let's show up and and it it was just it was a lot of work and it's cool i mean there's there's 80 something sheep now i mean we we transplanted 55 but there's over 80 sheep right now they all you know all the pregnant ewes had lambs um, the success rate on it so far has been tremendous. Every you that was pregnant had a lamb, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's going to start, you know, there's, there's, yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, those those are sheep herds that are going to, you know, unless, in, in like, Antelope Island is 100% going to be a smashing success. There's no doubt about it. That that sheep will be the state record that's on there six years from now. That four-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. that's what were his bases? 15. 15 at three. Already? Yeah. And then North Dakota, if they if they keep the predators down, those sheep will be successful. It's phenomenal habitat. So it was just a, it was a cool thing to be able to do to say, you know, conservation has turned into one of these buzzwords. Where, I mean, and and this will be you know, call me an asshole, whatever. But hunter conservationist doesn't mean shit anymore. Like like just because you buy your license doesn't mean you're a conservationist. Like that's that's not enough. And so, um, I. I I look at that term and go like, what have you actually done? Like, have you actually made a difference and making a difference isn't a massive donation. It isn't moving a whole sheep herd. Like you can, you can make a difference locally by killing predators. If you think your local deer herd is getting hammered by predators, you know, don't make a donation, go kill some predators. And so I just like the way conservation has been, especially with companies and everything else, like it's, it's a buzzword. Um, and you know, we do virtue signaling. Yeah, we do we do advertising and PR as well. But buying an ad in a conservation or organization magazine or being a sponsor, whatever it is, that's not actually conservation. Like I wanted to see, like, can we do actual conservation? And uh, that was the goal, and, and it's been a smashing success. The feedback has been incredible. I mean, I've got another couple projects in the works, which are going to be really cool. And people just want to know where their money's going, and they want to be a part of something that's going to make a difference. And I think it's going to change, you know, people are going to steal the concept and it's like have at it yeah you know raise the bar dude yeah it you know have and at it something that you've said and other people have said is you know kuyu has always been a disruptor man yep and you want to talk about 
putting some disruption out there and, and creating some waves. Conservation Direct created waves across the industry, you know, whether it's people that hate it and are super upset. And are they upset because they didn't do it first? Are they upset because they weren't a part of it? Or are they just in both? You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. You know, it's it's across the board. There's so many different opinions. I, I have to say, though, there's been more more support for it and more positive than negative. And, and yeah, I mean. If, and if I think we're going to see a lot of other companies following following Kuyu's model on that. As, as, oh, yeah. There's, as, as a lot happened, you know, when, when Kuyu was direct to com- – to consumer yeah you know? no there i've already i've already seen you know people are looking oh let's do our own project like ah, good i hope you do i hope i hope you 10x that one i hope i hope people like because I, at the I'm end of the day to, it's I'm about the sheep to, hunter right so yeah i'm prepared to raise the bar like that 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 you know we're, we're gonna go after some other big stuff too and i i just think you know having direct impact like all that other stuff is important supporting lobbying donating money all that stuff getting together the social experience behind conservation is all important but it's not conservation going to the big shows is not conservation that is not that cannot be your contribution to conservation it's not there's so much more you have to make i just feel like you have to make a difference and i i was looking around at being at the same banquets over and over and going like we're talking about the same thing and nothing's got done and i like and i've I've, like it put a pressure on me too like man what have i really done yeah by you know buy licenses and all that kind of stuff but that like i can't really say i'm a hunter conservationist like no i mean like in 2015 when i the the real the real genesis for it came in 2015 when i drew the sheep tag and the bob the biologist just was overwhelmed he did not have he's got like 10 areas to look at no idea how many sheep were there they get a flyby once a year and i went in there i counted every single sheep in the unit like i the number of what he knew about the unit when i left versus when i started which was noted in their yearly sheep plan was i just i felt like i actually made a difference like he thought there was 80 sheep i counted 147 here's how many age class rams there are like gave him some information that helped him be a Impacted better the study help him be a better manager of those sheep mm-hmm. you know all the way i was doing something that was incredible taking advantage of the area going in and killing this great big old ram and having an awesome you know like but i i learned the area so that that was part of it was like man i really felt like i made a difference in that and like that's micromanagement like i'm in one little area can make a difference like if everybody took that stance man you can make a lot of difference and i just started thinking like man, there's got to be a better way to make to do it and and you know there's some great organizations out there we continue to support them that that are doing great things but yeah the bar's got to be raised like donating money is not enough well that's why for me i always encourage you know guys in california become a hunter's education instructor yeah start teaching youth start teaching other people start carrying on the traditions and the principles to the next generation whether the next generation is older than myself or or their youth yeah you know because in california our, our you know in any given class that i'm teaching majority of the people that are in there are 25 to 35 years old yeah coming from non-hunting backgrounds with absolute no idea of what they're doing or how to do it you know well that's that's, i've seen that me too like you know my son is eight now and my focus is like i'm not as hardcore as i used to be i'm not as (laughs) i'm I'm not as intense as i used to be i don't scout as much as i used to like i like what i was doing for a long time um i'm not doing anymore because i got i got a little eight-year-old with me he's sleepy and he can't do the big hikes and like we're, we're doing, you know, I'm, I'm teaching him like I was taught. And part of this project too is like, man, I want there to be more sheep from like, 
right now, statistically speaking, my son will never draw a sheep tag. That sucks. Like, if we get after it right now, there'll be a lot more sheep opportunity. He'll actually have a fighting chance to hunt a bighorn somewhere. If they continue to let sheep numbers plummet and don't take care of those herds and don't expand them and don't take an aggressive approach to, to pioneering new areas, to repopulations, to actually just getting Like, if your sole focus is not more sheep hunting opportunity uh you know he he doesn't have a chance and like i mean one in a thousand odds are you know dumb and dumber man like so you're telling me there's a chance no there's really not so <laughs> the, the you know that that is one of the things too like i want to leave it better than i i have been super fortunate to hunt sheep as much as i have including drawing a sheep tag in this state which is the greatest thing in the world like it was an unbelievable experience like i i mean there's not money on the planet that could replace that for me. Um, I want my son to experience that. I want, you know, if you have kids, your kids to have, like, all, all the kids I know, like, the, the next generation. Like, but it's not just going to – it's not going to happen if you just give money and expect somebody else to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be pressure on state agencies. It's got to be somebody going, like, oh, you can't – I mean, like, I, I have a million people say, like, dude, you, you can't transplant sheep. There's, like – and I started looking in, it was like – yeah, you can. Listen, man, there's there's not an actual, like, there's not sheep transplant cops. Like, you have to go through biological protocol, and if somebody has a place to put them, and you have a place that you can get sheep. And they're and clean, healthy legal, sheep. Clean, healthy sheep. It's, it wasn't that complicated. Yeah. It just takes a, takes a lot of energy, takes some effort, takes some money, but not as much of any of those as you would think it does. It just takes, somebody's got to do it. Well, you know, and, and clean, healthy sheep is like when we were on Antelope Island, and we got there early, and we're all sitting around waiting Ooh. for the results to come in, man. That's a scary – that was a scary few hours, you know, yeah. and we're all just sitting around in the parking lot like – Everybody was there to sit – Come on, man. I, I didn't like everybody being there to, to see them kicked out because I, I knew, like, <clears throat> you know, if something the tested – The result, if, if they were If something tested positive, like, it was going to be a negative – like, they, they can't let them loose if they're not – if they got a disease, you know, yeah. and that's You like, don't want to take them back. You, you can't – I couldn't take them back, yeah. so they, they would have to be – you know, it would. It, I don't know what we we're going to do with them, but we were probably going to take them to a facility to do some do some research. studies on research on them. But that's not a great outcome either. So yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty nerve wracking, well, but it all worked out. Something that I really liked that you brought up was you and Justin um, kind of noticed that the sheep population had been booming, hmm. right? And and you guys kind of noticed that wait, this, we could do something here, yeah. you know, and, and take advantage of it. And not only for you, were you looking out for the res's best interest in managing the sheep herd up there, yep. but you were also, along with purchasing the sheep from them, created an insurance policy on them. Yeah, so the, the two herds we transplanted to, um, the, there was only two things that, that I asked for one we have no we have no give or take in this thing whatsoever we paid for everything it was fully funded they're free sheep and when they jump out of the trailer they're yours with there's only two caveats it had to go to a huntable population I don't I don't want to do conservation that doesn't involve hunting and somebody can say oh that's not looking at the big picture I don't give a shit I don't care about beluga whales I don't care about it like I really don't like what I the stuff that it matters to me I believe that if I look, if we look after that, which is hunting opportunities, like I want to see cheap transplanted areas where somebody's going to get to hunt them. That's important to me. And the second thing was those two populations are insurance policies for the reservation. So sheep have they love to die. So if those sheep on the reservation die off, 
and the and when the pop, population at Antelope Island or in North Dakota gets to a number where they're sustainable to transplant, they would get first crack at getting those back mm-hmm. if if the population had died off, which is just basically just make sure that there will always be sheep there. And it's a smart way to do it. I wish a lot of states would look at it that way. Like if you have disease-free sheep, you should be putting them somewhere else. Like Montana right now, the state of Montana biologists are in a really tough spot. Like we have some tremendous biologists here and their hands are tied. We are not allowed to transplant sheep out of state because of some, um, it's political basically, but we should be like, when we have a a sheep population in Montana, that's over objective, they should be transplanting sheep out of state to other habitats because I always look at it like, what if you need them back, man? That's short sighted to say, Oh, we're going to keep them all here. We're going to shoot these ewes. It's short sighted. Well, wasn't there a mountain range in Southwest Montana that they pretty much just gave unlimited tags and said everybody kill go them and all. kill all of them? Yep. Because yep. there was the second time I think they had tried yeah, to bring had. a herd in there and they continued to get sick the yep. second time. Yep. You know. The tendoys. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, I mean they they need you know th- these these supplement herds and and nursery herds they need to you know and again talking one guy who's done you know two two or three transplants now and and they were successful it's it's really complicated but it also is not as complicated like if the goal is more sheep hunting opportunity it's not as complicated as it sounds Mm -hmm. you know so and yeah it's it's uh that was a tremendous and yeah thanks for all the help like andy was the mvp on that he came up four or five days early and helped me out like i was stressed out beyond belief so there was a lot of we just had fun man we were just up there having fun yeah, there were a lot of awesome people showed up, and that yeah. was like I said, you, you, when you have friends that show up and believe in a crazy idea, it's it's pretty humbling because that was that was a uh, that was an awesome thing to do, and it's gonna be hard to replicate, but I'm I'm working on it. So it'll and be. There's, I think there's some other. I, th- I think it is gonna raise the bar. Like, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's like if people ask, like, what did you do with my money? You know, I, I can say this: the the people that donated, including myself, and the people that showed up to work felt like they did something mm-hmm. and that that is a pretty cool thing like we all when, when that deal was done and those sheep jumped out at antelope island those sheep jumped out in north dakota we actually accomplished something that was real like everybody in the, that was there can say i'm a hunter conservationist because they that, that was real work yeah i remember on the transplant one of the biggest things that the biologists are saying is everybody keep really quiet oh, yeah. everybody be you know you can't be loud no loud noises no yeah. first sheep we put in there I jumped up i was like Woo! yeah you, you screamed yeah. gave the, i gave a holler and everybody was like Shh. i was yeah. like oh shit and, and, and it turned out you didn't have to be that quiet because yeah. after that we were kind of got a little bit louder yeah it was cool to handle them it was cool to see i mean it was a unique the simultaneous transplant was a cool thing because we got to see north dakota how they operate no tranquilizers they don't sedate them or anything i mean they were wild i mean like they're, they're you know you and we put kept a, the sheep temperature down yeah yeah and then know? and then the next day what they sedated them and you know they were they were a little bit calmer but they both had their different styles and the blood work that they did that was really cool mm-hmm. like we're experts now like uh, we, can, we can step in on anything <laughs> you might be on <laughs> well you can i step could step in, in and help yeah for you sure. can step in and help yeah. yeah swabs and yeah that was a that was a cool project and everything. we got a couple other cool things in the works and i actually just had I don't want to give anything away, but I had a state agency reach out to me yesterday um, looking to do a project in a, in another state with sheep and had said, hey, I saw that. What a tremendous idea. Carrying and, the torch. 
yeah, what a tremendous idea. Like, you know, I'd love to do something with you coming from a state agency, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it'll raise the bar and it's exciting to see. And, and yeah, man, I mean, it'll be cool to see how those hunting opportunities progress. I mean, I have a feeling that Antelope Island's going to explode. With I can't sheep. wait to see that, that yep. first auction tag go off yep. at Antelope Island. Yeah. And I mean, on Antelope Island, the, the auction tag or the draw tag, there'll be two. Yeah. Somebody else, somebody else. Somebody will get to hunt. I hope around. I get to be on that hunt, man. Yeah, that, be, there's gonna be 36 people that want to be on yeah, that hunt. Yeah. Probably. Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll be a that'll be a that'll be a huge one. Right. Yeah. So going into this project and taking it on, um, you know, with the current situation and everything that had happened, uh, how important was it for you knowing that you had had Jason's confidence and uh, and taking it on? It was. It was just cool knowing, like you know, like I said, you know, just are you are you doing things that he would go that was pretty cool that that's where i look at it like that like yeah you're making a difference like and you know anybody who knew jason one is like are you pissing somebody off (laughs) because he he loved it i mean that dude loved it like he loved to go against the grain it's like did that piss somebody off like did did you do something like that that made somebody mad because it wasn't the normal way to do it like consumer direct or anything else like do you piss somebody off even better you know, that's how like, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. It definitely made some people go like, oh, my project is not as cool as it. And again, I'm not hacking on anybody's project, but you, you know, if you're documenting somebody else's project, that still doesn't conservation, mm-hmm. you know, like taking a film of what somebody else is doing is not a conservation project. Okay. You're documenting somebody else's work. Like, are you actually doing your own, you know, you know, are you involved yeah. you know, or, or, a, or a observer, right? We were not observers. You know. active participants oh yeah yeah it doesn't get more active than that <laughs> right so yeah, so what's up? coming out of that something and you and i had talked about this on the sheep capture and it's and i'm going to butcher this so you're going to have to correct me and it's in the off season right and the and the primary goals in the off season and you've quoted it or you've talked about it with me is retooling refocusing and I can't remember. Put me on the, put me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just rebuilding every year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, what's your goal for the next year? How are you going to get better? Um, I, I, it always like after a season, I look, I, I, I do a hard look back and go, what did I do well? What did I fail at? Mm-hmm. You know, and what, what's, what's the next? What, what's going on next year? What am I gonna? What, what's my goal for next year? So that that's the thing. I'm like, was I a good enough shot? Did you spend time? Were you focused? Were you focused when you were hunting? You know, like I like I ate my elk tag in Montana la- for the first time in 20 years last year, <laughs> and it's a bunch what? of di- bunch of different reasons. I never got on a great big bull. Um, it it pisses me off. Like right now, it makes me it makes me pissed off. And it's a couple things. I was unfocused. I had a f- few different hunts. I did two back to back sheep hunts. Um, I had a phenomenal year last year, like one of the best years I've ever had, but I did not focus on elk hunting like I normally did. And just, yeah, it just is what it is. And and I didn't. And so I look back and go like, huh, I will correct that. Do you think any of that had to do with, um, the role that you were playing in Kuyu at the time? Yeah. Taking on the entire company. Yeah. A bit of that. But I mean, at the end of the day, like that's not an excuse. Focus is focus. Work, work stuff where everybody has work stuff. Everybody's got stress in their life. Everybody, you know. 
everybody's got to make a mortgage payment every you know no there's no excuses i just got to do better and and i and i'm so picky now too like i i I literally been saying for 10 years i'm gonna eat my elk tank one of these days (laughs) because i mean i'm so picky i'm looking for you know the biggest of the big so yeah, we'll see. You know, like like I said, I've I got two really good elk tags this fall, and a, and a mountain goat tag. So like, I mean, my fall is getting dialed in, and um, yeah, I'm gonna shoot better, scout harder, you know, focus on uh, focus on the things you need to focus on. You can, you know, the 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 best thing about hunting is that you have to approach it the same every single time if you expect the same success. Mm-hmm. Like I said. The, the the last two giant bulls that I killed, great, that doesn't mean anything. The elk that I'm hunting this fall, he could give a shit that I've killed a couple of big bulls. Doesn't care. Doesn't care how many, doesn't yeah. care what my garage looks like. I got to I gotta approach it with the same intensity that I did the year before, or I'll get my ass kicked again. And I'll, I'll, I'll eat my tag again. If you, don't, if you don't do it right, it never gets easier. And that's why, you know, sometimes it, it, I guess it would seem like it'd be a daunting task, but it never gets easier. That's the beauty of it. That's why it's a constant challenge. That's why compared to wrestling or anything I've ever done, like hunting is the same way. It's like it's the same challenge that drives me every single time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, dry, and you know, like it, it, it's so it, it's so sim- similar to athletics, too. And it's like it's the people you, you surround yourself with, too. Like, I, I mean, I run with some absolute savages like it's pretty funny. I mean, you, you know, we, we have this thing called the strap every year with me and about seven guys, like whoever wins the strap kills the biggest elk of the year. And it's like, we've been doing it for almost 20 years now. And like, if you win the strap you kill the biggest elk out of this group of seven guys, you've killed a pretty big bull. And, and it actually means something. Like we joke about it, mm-hmm. but deep down it means something. And like, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't, um, you know, hanging around with, you know, like the group that you surround yourself, you've met some of my buddies, like they're stone cold killers. Mm-hmm. I mean, stone cold killer guys that like every single year are doing world-class stuff. Yeah. And when you surround yourself with those people, you have to raise the bar yourself too. Cause like well, it forces you to, yeah, you have to, you know, yeah. and, 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 all, and how it, important is that is blah, 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 blah. how important is that for own, your own personal success? Oh, it's huge because, you, you know, you set the bar higher and, and and it's cool to have, you know, like everybody nowadays, it's like, yeah, I don't have a massive group of friends, but m- m- my buddies, like, we're all very happy for each other. It's, there's a lot of shit talking and, and, <laughs> that's and, all part and, of it. and messing with each other for sure. <laughs> like, oh man, you, you don't, you, you, you know, these guys, they don't, they, they don't give any room. Like, like you're, nobody's a fan of anybody else. Okay. Yeah. Like you're getting as much shit as anybody all the time and that's 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 why it's awesome but you know like yeah it, it, it helps you raise the bar yeah and you know like it's it's like you gotta everybody's after it pretty hard and so like you're you know that's it's important to have that small group of guys that that keeps it real too and like yeah you know you think you kill a bit like oh come on absolutely i mean for for me in california one of the most pivotal points in my you know hunting journey was when two guys who i look up to a lot were like hey man I yeah. don't want to see any any of this small deer shit this year. Yeah, like it's it's time. Like, yeah. step up to the table or don't send us any pictures, you know. And and then that was the year that I went out and killed my two biggest bucks in California back to back, within five days of each other. You know, my buddy Doug was just, and his brother were like, "Hey, dude, this week shit, cut it out. Yeah, we're not we're not 
we don't care anymore. Like yeah. step up to the table or, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's kick fun. And, and that's, what's cool about living here and, and having, you know, a group of savage friends. That, mm-hmm. And again, you know, it's like, Hey, I, you know, maybe a few people know who I am, but like, I mean, a couple of my buddies, like nobody knows who they are. They're, they're not on social media. They don't really give a shit, but like world-class dudes that kill big shit all the time, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. You and know? Th- amazing people to boot. Oh yeah. Awesome. You know, but wonderful, wonderful people. F- funny guys. And, and yeah, cause like I said, it's, it's important. Like it just keeps it real, you mm-hmm. know, it keeps it real. You know, like you think, think you're getting uppity, like nobody's a fan of anybody. It's like, oh, oh you got one good one. Oh, geez. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's pretty funny. And, and it was cool to have all those guys show up and, and well, it was and like, we were, it. we were sitting at dinner that one night and I was talking about, you know, I've never, never settled tattooed on my, on my collarbones. And the first, like, it didn't even miss a beat. The first thing out of your mouth is all oh, you got never settled tattooed on your chest. <laughs> kill the cow on day nine what the fuck are you settling for you know and it was the entire table is just including myself all we did was laugh for the next 10 minutes yeah yeah no yeah if your if your buddies aren't giving you shit you need new buddies (laughs) yeah yeah that's for sure 100 percent so in every podcast right and every deadeye outfitter sponsors this podcast they sponsor a question thanks deadeye by the way for sending my uh my son the uh the hats and shirts. He yeah. loves it. Yeah. Yeah. I, tr- I tried to get your wife to send me a picture of, of you with Lucas and his flat bill hat on just for the irony's sake of that. But oh. I never got that I'll, picture. I'll wear them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so for my, for my dead eye question, um, and this is going to be a little bit more on the deeper side than the fun, playful side. Um, your dad was a very big mentor for you growing up and, you know, obviously he was handicapped in a wheelchair and, and, um, I can't imagine that the fire that that sparked in you to push yourself further and, you know, go the, go the next mile, um, for you with Lucas, what are you doing to instill in him and show him the ropes as a young, I mean, he's youth now, but as a young man growing up and bringing him into this world of sheep hunting and world-class hunters and, and, you know, very well-traveled individuals that are, you know, straight up killers. Yeah. Um, a couple of things, like I'm pretty intense, so I'm trying not to be too intense with it, with him, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you've met him, he, he loves the hunt. I mean, he's, well, first he thing I noticed off the bat when I met him, um, that first time I met him, he walked up to me, he put his hand out, he looked me dead in the eye and he shook my hand looking in my eye the whole time and told me his name. Oh yeah. yeah. That's and I, that right there is. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a key. I like he's in it. He He's respectful. He's a good, he's a great little kid. We have different personalities. He's far nicer than I am, which I want to <laughs> keep, which I want to keep him that way. Um, yeah. He's learned a lot from his grandpa too. You know, like, I mean, he's, he's, he's into it. I want it to be fun for him. I mean, I feel like the best gift you could give anybody in the world is a lifetime hobby that they can be passionate about. You know, and like I said, Lucas will be, he's so into hunting now and he will be hunting till long past when I'm dead. Like he loves it. And so I want to, I want to keep feeding that fire. I don't want to burn him out. Like, I mean, I've got this goat tag. He's going to go hunting with me a couple times. I've got this elk tag in Wyoming. He's going to come down with me for a couple days. Is the elk tag an archery tag or a rifle it's tag? It's both, but I, yeah. I'll, 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 I won't rifle hunt it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take him out and he's going to spend the first couple of days in a tent with me and, and, and we're going to, we're going to raise the bar a little bit, make it a little more difficult. I mean, there, 
kids are softer nowadays. There's a lot of, you know, like, I mean, yeah. there, there's stuff my parents did. Fucking come down to California, man. There, you want to see soft children. There, there, there's stuff Fuck. that my parents did with me that I wouldn't even dream of. I mean, I used to get left alone at home seven, eight years old, like his age right now. Like, oh, yeah. we'll be back in a couple hours. Hiking don't, through Tom Minor back Don't in the screw day. anything up, you know. like uh, <laughs> So now, like, I, I just want him to um, – to learn about hunting i want him to appreciate the journey i mean he's got to shoot a couple big deer in texas which has been fun mm-hmm. but even now it's just like okay we're we're down we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna it's gonna get a little harder we're gonna do stuff that's a little tougher and you know he's practicing you know shooting his bow all the time and you know yeah i want to i want to raise a solid individual that has a heavy base and and their identity based in being a hunter i mean that's very important to me um i can't think of a anything that is more important in my life than making sure that that's part of his identity and that's part of something that he loves and that's and that's something that he does well and he has a respect for and he can pass it on as well you know it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a heavy burden to make sure you don't screw it up and i i take it really really seriously because i i do i want him to love it i mean there's nothing i could think that would be worse than you know he's a teenager and going like i don't want to go home with my dad you know, like that, that would kill me. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, yeah, I'm trying to do as good. I, like I could never do as good a job as my parents did for me. Um, so that's the bar. The bar is like, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my wife and I raise a young man that, that, that is super into it. That's respectful that, you know, it's part of his identity is something that he loves to do. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, and it keeps him and I together, you know, like, yeah. I mean, I want to be, I mean, I'm intense now, and I'm into it, but, you know, I, I got 10 or 15 more. Let's see, I'm 42. Like, by the time I'm 60, I'm not going to be wanting to hit as hard. You know, I hope he gets the fire in him to where he's putting a boot track everywhere, and, you know, I hope at some point in time he's like, I'm going to dominate what you did, you know. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I took all your tricks, and I'm going to add to the bag, you know. Like, that yeah. would be the coolest thing, so. And same with my daughter. She, I, she doesn't have the personality right now that she does not want to hunt. She wants to be a, a dancer, but if she wants to down the road, that's that's great. Yeah. You know, like it's it's an awesome thing to pass on. And um, yeah, I mean, they're we're we're TV and uh, Kindle video game, all that stuff free at our house. Like it's like, you know, I I actually did. This is a funny story. I did. We did. With Conservation Direct, we did a sheep transplant to Antelope Island, to two to North Dakota for sheep. So I transplanted 55 sheep, but I actually did a fourth sheep, a fourth transplant this year. Is I went and got a bunch of wild rabbits, and I <laughs> transplanted nine rabbits to our yard for Lucas to hunt mm-hmm. about four months ago, and they they're no longer with us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got after them, so that's awesome. Yeah, that's way awesome. So. For you, what is it? Has it been like? How important has it been in your hunting career and and having a family and all that? Having your wife, having Beth support. Oh, uh, it's been. I could not do what I like. I was burning the candle at both ends back in the day. Like I, I never killed a sheep until I met Beth, and could not be. She, it's, it's. I mean, I have you know somebody to take care of everything and to and to show the support to me and to be behind you like the burden that I put on her being gone and being focused and being, and being unfocused on the other side. Like I never have to worry about anything at home. 
She's got which you is, covered. Which is the uh, which is the loose, you know that that's the part where you can really fail. Like I don't have to ever have to worry about any of that. Like she is, in the on the scale of my life, like the absolute most important thing. I I would not have the success I have. I never kill a sheep till I met her. She tell she tells me that too. It's like yeah, back when you're you know freewheeling and don't like you never you never hunt a sheep. You know I never <laughs> I wasn't focused enough apparently. I never killed one until back then. So it's important to have. You know, I've, I've a lot of times people ask me like, "What's the number one thing you would say to, you know, to be successful in hunting?" Is like pick the right partner, yeah. pick somebody that supports what you do. You marry somebody that isn't into what you do and doesn't like to have taxidermy in your house and doesn't. Uh, and this will be stepping on some toes, but like doesn't fully support what you do and understand you. Like, not just support, but like my wife understands who I am. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we started dating. I remember I told her, I said, listen, I'm gone in September. I told her right off the bat, like, I'm gone in September. Gone. You don't understand. Like, I'm gone. I will not be around. And she's like, I made it through 20 Septembers without you. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> she's a savage. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that I would say that's, a, that's an important thing to, like, pick the right, you know, just like your friends you associate with, you know, you, you got to have somebody that's on your team, truly on your team. Yeah. Because... You know that that you know that's that's a massive one there because if you if you got turmoil at home and somebody it fucks not, your brain up for the field, man. Oh yeah, and, and even even in a field like I'll you know I call her you know hunting ten days it's been tough hunting she's like oh you'll you you'll get them you're good like never like what are you doing <laughs> what what is it like are you putting that much energy into something that's gonna poke me in the head in our garage like seriously give up you know like no. It's it's more uh, yeah it's as important as it gets and and underrated. Um, she doesn't get the pats on the back as much. Like I mean I feel like I should have a medal ceremony every day, <laughs> but yeah that's that's super important. She's and, a rock man. Oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's important on yeah. on everything. That yeah. foundation is just yeah immense. That's where the mentors you know like I've I've had a I've had such a great you know I couldn't get any better like my. You know, some of these people have passed on, but my, my hunting mentor, Ray all my buddy, my core group of buddies that have all been the same for 20 years and my wife and, you know, support of the company and all that stuff. Like, like it's a perfect storm of being able to be successful, mm-hmm. like tons of opportunities, all that stuff. It's because you set your lifestyle up to be able to like, that's what's important, you know, and it, you know, that there's no doubt about it. Like, it's very little of me, like. I got the easiest job in the world. I just got to go hunting. Yeah. You know, it's got to go make it happen. <laughs> like I got a fool animal, so it's not that tough. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Man. How so long did we go here? Oh, we're, we're getting there. Oh. I got, I got two more questions oh, in my, no, in my I'm brain. Good. I was just curious the time. We're about an mm. hour and 50 wow. in right now. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's a, it's a solid podcast so far. Um, so when you got to arrow your first sheep, because I would imagine you were pretty much on the stock. I mean, it, there's probably a guide my, with you, but you were no, no. I the first sheep I heard was the the ram and the Bob Marshall. Oh, in okay. Montana. I yep. was thinking it was north Rob, of the Robbie was with me. Yeah. So, because you spent like you lived out there twenty four days. Twenty four days. Yep. So, what was that like for you when you finally got in the wheelhouse? Um. Oh man, it moves you to tears. Like when you've been thinking about doing something like that. Like that would that was my number one. I mean, like th- th- that was one of those things. Like it's an emotional dump. Like you can't imagine. Like it's especially if you want something that bad, and if you put in the time, 
you know, like a 25 years to draw the tag. Like, I, I mean, it, it, and you're riding it, it on an archery shot. It, yeah, I mean, 25 years to draw the tag, something you've been, you want more than anything in the world. Something money can't buy. You can, I mean, I guess you could buy the governor's tag, but like you cannot buy, you know, to draw it, which was, you know, incredible. And then to actually put in the time, you know, there, there's a lot of hunts I've done where like you, uh, you get a little bit lucky maybe, or, or you're just in the right place at the right time or, or whatever. Like when you go in and find something like that, First of all, to know about it, to set a goal, to go in there and work as hard as you possibly can. You know, you want to talk about a, a way that it, my, my wife coming through. We had a baby September 11th that year. So Gray was born that year. I had the sheep tag. So I did three sheep hunts in 90 days, an elk hunt, and had a baby um, on <laughs> September 11th. Like, I, I mean, like, she, and, and once, once we had Gray, she was like, just go. I know you don't want to be here you're super not helpful with a baby <laughs> and just go, you know? So, and I knew like, I didn't have to think like, Oh, is my wife actually like, is she, did she say go, but did she mean it? Like the beautiful thing about her is like, she meant it, go get the hell out of here. You're yeah. good. And so to, if you put, you know, it's a combination of like something you've wanted for so long, something you put all the hard work in and you did it right. Every single minute of like, I was glassing every, I was wanting one Ram in particular, I was glassing every single day like I was going to miss him, and I put in the miles. You know, I probably walked close to 190 miles, and then to finally and, and passed up a bunch of great big sheep, and then to finally turn up the one that I wanted, and to sneak in an arrow M. I mean, that's you know, if you got to do that, like I've had that, it, by far the best hunt. I could never replicate it. it. Was incredible. So when it comes down to it, I made a long shot to kill him, and it just boils down to. The, it's the little things that add up to something huge. I mean, if you, you know, like, I don't know how many times I've taken that shot, but I knew, I, was, I knew it was a done deal. Like once you, once you, once you shoot him, I had to follow him up and, and, and arrow him again to finish him off, but he was about done. But once it's done, like, I mean, an adrenaline dump that I can only compare to, you know, winning some big tournaments or stuff. I mean, it's just like, it's something incredible and something I think about all the time. Like, how fortunate I was to have that opportunity and to make good on the opportunity. There's a lot of great opportunities in life they don't make good on. You know, I, I wounded a gigantic bull in 2014 in Arizona, and that was a tremendous opportunity that just didn't work out, and it sucks. And it's like it doesn't taste the same. Mm -hmm. And so that, to, to have one work out exactly or better than it could have turned out, like the big brown bear, the state record out like all that stuff like when they do work out that's what makes that's what makes that's what drives you to go to do that stuff yeah you know i mean it was it's just good like there are not words in the english language <laughs> chinese language there, there is not words on the planet to describe that yeah so so i'll follow into my last question and you can answer this or you don't have to or my last thing and it's going to be more of a funny story so and i don't remember the year but you got pulled over oh. going on an elk hunt. Oh, yeah. So can you tell that story? Yeah. 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 Let's, so, I'll, I'll, I mean, it's just too much of a golden story to just not. Yeah. So in in the year was 2000, um, and it was before I killed the great big bull. I was um, I was in college, and it was like um, – and I was, I was trying to do everything right. And I was, I was taken off early and the whole nine yards. So I was, I was driving through the state park. And when I, 
my truck this i was worried about scent this is when like scent lock and all that kind of stuff was out so i was super conscious of scent so i'm you know i got up at 2 30 in the morning and i'm uh this is back when i like 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 this is back in the heyday of the really good gangster rap in in the early 2000s i was probably like well it was it was definitely some snoop dog on the on the uh in the in the in the cd player back then yeah a bunch of young people won't even know what those things are um and I, yeah, I was driving through this state park and I got pulled over. I was in my underwear. I had nothing. I had flip flops and underwear on because I had all my, I had all my clothes in a tub in the back, in the, in the trunk of my Nissan Pathfinder. And I got pulled over and it's like, when you're bumping rap at two thirty in the morning, going 20 miles over the speed limit, cause you want to get to your elk hunting spot and you got about four mile hike to get into it. And you get pulled over, and it's like a realization. You're like, dude, I am sitting here in my underwear, <laughs> jamming the rap music in the middle of nowhere, and I'm I'm getting pulled over for speeding. And this cop, that it was a highway patrolman, walked up to me, and and I I said I said, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not wearing any clothes. <laughs> I've got underwear on, but I'm not wearing any clothes. And this guy looked at me, was like. I'm dying to hear this, you know, and I, I said, I said, listen, man, I've got an elk tag. I'm, I'm not coming from the bar. I'm going hunting. And he's looking at me like, that's what they all say. <laughs> and I was like, man, all my stuff's in the back. Like, and I had to get out and go back and show him like, let me show you. Like, and this guy looked at me like I was crazy. I had to do a sobriety test for, for, uh, for driving in the driving in my skivvies in the middle of the night. So it was just funny. One of those things where you go like until the moment he pulled me over, like, what am that I was doing? That not a scenario I thought about. I probably should have worn sweatpants or something, but I was just like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm not going to run anybody. I'm just set it out to my elk hunt spot. So, you know, yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. Right on. Well, it sounds like you have a pretty busy year coming up this year with yeah. some pretty awesome tags. I look forward to seeing what uh, yeah. what comes out of those adventures, and I appreciate the time. Yeah, man. I'm glad you stopped by, and I'm looking forward to uh, the flip-flop on, on Friday. Friday. It's yeah, going to be a good trying dinner. Trying out the new, uh, do we have a name yet, or are we just I don't still know. working on it? Yeah, the, Still working on it. Be ready, hopefully, Yeah. soon. Yeah. Very it's soon. Flip-flop on Friday night. And yeah. Yeah, if, if you're hearing this, you probably missed out on the flip-flop at it's my been house. been gone, yeah. Yeah, it's all eaten. <laughs> so. Right on. Well, thank you so much. Awesome, man. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguy.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.